Hey everyone, it's Matt. And I'm Kyle. And we're the Casual Tutors. Today, we are coming at you live talking about the color pie, how the player bases push for better commander cards or to quote-unquote fix certain colors in commander can be stagnating slash you know, blurring the lines of that color pie, letting other colors do abilities that natively were not part of that color, and some of the effects that might be having on other formats. First, we're going to catch up with a little bit of housekeeping. Like always, catch us on our socials anywhere at Casual Tutors. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And we're pretty active. We at least post once a week everywhere. We also have a Discord with a growing membership that's super active, talking about spoilers, deck reviews, deck help, just general memes about magic, anything like that. And we love interacting with you guys, so make sure to jump in. Link down in the description, as always. Our YouTube is starting to become more active. We, we got some of our episodes up there right now for you to listen, if that's your preferred method. We also have a recorded live opening of a Phyrexia all be one Complete Bundle, and we'll be going live again soon with more pack cracks. Anyways, without further ado, let's start talking about Color Pie. As primarily Commander players, Kyle and I are well aware of where different colors sit in terms of power level, especially when we're talking about comparing them to other colors. In the past, white was dominantly the weakest. In fact, I think it's still a meme. I don't hear it as often as I used to. But, you know, oh, don't worry about this deck. It's mono white. I'm not going to be doing anything. Stuff like that. Super common. And it definitely used to be true if we're talking like pre-2017. Now we've definitely seen a shift where we're getting monstrous amounts of commander support directly from WotC. Just different master sets more often. Secret layers. All these reprints. All these new sets. To some extent, something like Modern Horizons where... Watsi is really answering the call to tune these different colors. And part of that problem is by tuning them, they're giving them abilities that are borrowed and modified from other colors. And we're going to get into those in specific, but, you know, kind of just to start right off the bat, we're going to dive into white. It previously being the weakest, arguably second strongest now. At least second strongest. In my opinion, black's still the strongest, but white has gotten so much love. And I will say that the thing is, is I know you said borrowing from the color pie, but a lot of these white effects, it, it, it feels like blatant thievery. We, we want these cards to be better, specifically for Commander, because everybody wants you know, to play their different color combinations, to do unique things but they don't want to miss out on the opportunity that playing blue might offer if you're in like a white or you know a white X deck. Stuff like that. So we see things where they'll give white card draw, which wasn't necessarily lacking in white. It was just more difficult to do in white than it currently is. But I think that gets rid of creativity, right? I mean, that, that it pushes people not to make more decks or pushes people not to use as many colors or... You kind of said it when we were talking about this, but it pushes for more uniformity, right? It pushes so that these colors all do the same. You know, why play a green-white deck when you can just play a white deck that does everything? Why, why 
you know, have multiple decks when you can build a deck that's going to run perfectly the way it is. You know, it does, it gives no reason to try new things, be creative, scrap an idea, go a new way. And I think right now we're seeing that mostly in Commander, but I feel as they print more and more of these cards that quote unquote fix a color, you're going to see issues with other formats, um, eternal formats especially. But uh, even right now, we're seeing somewhat of a little bit of a problem with uh, standard um, because of black, not white, but still. These colors just becoming more and more powerful without having to get that diversity that people used to have to seek by splashing colors. And, you know, devil's advocate a little bit, it does allow you to play commanders in colors that you previously wouldn't be able to play because they either themselves are bad commanders or they just didn't have the options available. Um, I definitely think decks like Ishimaru decks, which, you know, super cool. Everyone loved playing good as boy, mono white. He didn't do anything, so you were kind of limited. You were at that mono white pre-2017 power level, and now, kind of like Kyle said, you have access to everything. You got your color fixing that you're borrowing from green. You got your card draw that you're borrowing from blue. You got, you know, different forms of removal that have always kind of passively been white because white's always been good at removal. But just stuff like that, kind of blending that color pie into the one color. I think kind of the flagstone start of this issue for me jumps out as Smothering Tide that we got with Throne of Eldraine. And we got it with Guilds of Ravnica. That we got it with Guilds of Ravnica. It was reprinted in Throne of Eldraine in the stupid fairy brawl deck. That's why I'm screwed up. Anyways, it's if you don't know, whenever an opponent draws a card, they could pay two. If they don't, you make a treasure. And we've talked about this card many times. Uh, so go back and listen to us rant and rave about Smothering Tithe in the past, too. But essentially, it just it makes white always have either more mana or perfect mana, you know, in those cases where you're playing a white X deck. You never have to worry about, you know, having a good tuned mana base when you're just pooping out treasures for your opponents doing something that they're going to do anyways on their turn, regardless of your effects on the field. And that's just the start. You know, we see other things. Uh, Archivist of Ogma lets you draw a card whenever your opponent uh, casts their second spell. Searches their library. Searches their library. We have Deep Earth Terramancer. Deep Gnome Terramancer. Whatever. Gnomes live in the earth. That lets you play a basic la- or play a land whenever your opponent plays a puts a land on the battlefield without playing it. Yeah, so whenever your opponent ramps, essentially, uh, you can search your library for a basic land, so it doesn't even have to be in your hand. Yeah, even better. You know, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't force you to have it, which I, I always like saying make him have it, but I guess Terramancer just says, hey, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think that if he required you to have it in your hand, that you could play a basic planes anytime your opponent played ramped, basically that would feel more white. It, it definitely wouldn't be as powerful as going and getting it and putting it out, which is a very green effect. I've also played this card, and I don't know if our commander pods just don't go and ramp with lands very often, but I like of the dozen times I've had him on the battlefield, I've probably got him to trigger twice. That's like our Chaomancer's map, which I'm assuming we'll talk about next, too. I played that in eight and a half tails, and most games it sits as a uh, do nothing card on the battlefield. It puts the lands in your hands, which is nice, but I don't know 
why our meta just doesn't ramp very much, but I feel like half the time I'm either equal with somebody else with the most lands or have the most lands in the white deck, which how does that even work? I feel like we just play a lot of rocks probably overall. Yeah. Either way, two it's around. We go, go to check out our ramp episode. We talk about all this stuff in greater detail, but we see these things where in the past we had something like tithe or land tax or night of the white orchid that were very conditional on anything your opponents had then triggering and then not necessarily even putting that land on the battlefield, just putting it into your hand, which is real feels bad if you already played a land or whatever that turn. You're not accelerating. It is technically fixing because it's giving you that next land drop, but those were easily the best white forms of fixing a ramp that existed prior to 2017, Smothering Tide, all that nonsense. You know, we get things now, like Ikoria introduced a bird in the commander decks that when it deals combat damage to a player, if that player has more lands to you, go get a land and put it onto the battlefield. There is a knight that was printed in commander legends that if your opponent has more creatures than you, you get to put a creature out. If they have more lands than you, you get to go get a land and put it out. Just flat out. And there's a third one on there too. If they draw... If they draw their second card in a turn, you get to draw a card. Something like that. Knight of the Accord is incredible. I think he just stapled Archivist of Agma onto it, but either way, he has an entire card's worth of text on him, and he just kind of does everything that White wants to do. You're totally right. It's Keeper of the Accord, and he doesn't say anything about card draw. He's still great, though. Still pretty great. Of course, naturally, we see White doing what it always historically does. Super good artifact enchantment removal. Super good at going and getting artifacts and enchantments because we've seen a couple of different cards that do that now. And really good at exile effects, whether it's an enchantment or a creature that ETBs, exiles a target until it leaves the battlefield. Straight up exile because we've seen a couple different versions of that. And it, it's just... White has been pushed to the point where it's not a meme really anymore. There's no reason for anybody to believe me when I joke and say my Halvar deck isn't going to kill them turn three, which, sad face, I still like telling people. It's strange, though. I mean, if you think about it, it sounds like it's healthy for the game and for a lot of different formats, right? It sounds like each color in their own right should be powerful. It's just... How do you do that without breaking the color pie? It's definitely a challenge for R&D to balance the game in that aspect because obviously WotC doesn't want to stray away from that color pie theory or concept when they're developing cards, but they also want to be able to address players' concerns about the different power levels or this being bad, it needs to do this, white needs more of this, black needs to do this, stuff like that. It, it, I, it's definitely an easily foreseeable challenge for them. I'm going to pose a question later, kind of at the end, asking you guys to tell us how you think the future of the color pie is going to move, whether it's still going to be pushed. But there's definitely cards that Kyle and I are going to miss. Don't hesitate to throw those into our Discord, comment on our YouTube, on our Facebook, whatever. Let us know what you guys think. But we're going to move on to red. I really only have one good example off the top of my head for red of something, of red doing something it doesn't traditionally do. And that is infamous Dockside Extortionist. We see artifact removal all over the place. Something or just something that cares about artifacts in red is fairly common. Where Dockside strays away from this is that it also counts enchantments that your opponents control, which 
a lot of people I've seen forget until we remind them, but artifact and enchantment is more of a white thing than red. And it's not like a, a huge, you know, rip off of the color pie to staple that on the dock side, but it definitely didn't need it. Red's awesome. Red's perfect. There's nothing wrong with red. Red is also the weakest color by far by now. Yeah, for sure. But it's still perfect. Don't ever correct me. One more example of red kind of doing something that it always traditionally has, but just kind of to that next level, like pushed for unnecessary reasons, in my opinion, is Jessica's will. It is impulse draw and a ritual, regardless of what Kyle says. It is a ritual. Stapled onto one card. Rituals say ritual in their name. But they are flat out just better than everything else. It's three mana. And like, assuming you have your commander, so this isn't any kind of effect on any other eternal format because Jessica's will is strictly a commander card. But I rarely see Jessica's will give you less than five mana and every time gives you three impulse cards. Like, it's just flat out great. Yeah. Especially if you're tuned to like disgusting and prosper. Disgusting in every deck. Yeah. Don't even need to give examples of that. No, it's good. It's uh, any, any, as we talk through these colors, as we talk through the white that we've already done, red now, anything that becomes an auto include in, I, I'll say commander just because that's my frame of reference, it's going to be a good card and, and probably a troublesome card in some way or another. Uh, another meme Kyle and I kind of discussed was gamble. Not a new red card by far. But in my opinion, definitely steals from black because we all know Gamble is just red in tomb. Go find a card and put it into your graveyard. <laughs> we just forget what the rest of that card says because that's what happens every time. And that and is that the only non-creature tutor in red? And the only creature I can think of is Imperial Recruiter. Yeah, not a lot of tutors in red. Definitely lots of hate. Lots of point-based hate, which is still a pretty unique red thing is point-based removal or damage. It's great. Burn people yep. in the face. Keep doing it, red. Moving on to black, one example that jumps out right away, brought to us from Phyrexia and Dominari United is our good girl, Shouldred. And drawing cards in black isn't really unique. What's unique about her, well, one, she doesn't actually draw you any cards, which is fine, because she'd be utterly busted if she did, but the fact that when you draw a card, you gain a life. And Black's thing is you gain two life. Black's thing is that normally whenever you benefit in some way, you get punished. And the fact is, shoulder it is a net benefit because it's a four-point life swing. Two for you and two from your opponents. Yeah, usually you're you're paying something to gain a reward. This, if you gain the reward of drawing a card, you gain life. Which, Black does have access to lifelink here and there. Mostly related when you look at co- color combinations like Orzov, but just flat out stapling gain two life when you benefit is definitely more of a white thing than anything at all. See, black has always been, in my opinion, the best color in the color pie, though, and probably will be forever because, one... If you staple pay life onto something, black will card draw. Black, black will tutor anything. Uh, black will kill your opponent's creatures, exile your opponent's creatures, exile permanents. 
destroy permanence. Draw you half your library. Draw you half your library. Board wipe. Uh, board wipe that gets around indestructible with things like Massacre Girl. Yeah. Black is so good. Black is really good. Next is green. And I think white definitely is kind of the king of this category of, you know, quote unquote, getting good that Watsi has done over the past couple of years. But green is a close second. Green wants to be blue so bad it's embarrassing. We see effects that green has done in the past, like Autumn's Veil, where it gives hexproof specifically against blue-black spells. And now we have Veil of Summer, which is a vastly improved Autumn's Veil. It's stapled card draw on, thanks blue. Then it just continues on and gives you hexproof from that blue spell, from that black spell, and one mana, dirt cheap. It's just everything green did, but better. They also both say that they your spells can't be countered by blue or black spells either. Yes. Which is all spells. So regardless of them being green. Right. Yeah, just good. And and in my opinion, I mean, even even something like Snakeskin Veil, which was the third veil that they printed pretty close to Summer's Veil, my... My thing with those is these are essentially one mana green counter spells because they're they're oh you just cast uh, I don't know you just cast uh, I'm gonna say murder nobody plays murder but you just cast murder to destroy my my creature I'm going to you know Summer's Veil nope it just fizzles I'm gonna even Snakeskin Veil because it gives the hexproof it might not stop the countering. But it gives the hexproof. Oh, I just played my commander. I'm gonna and you played a mana drain. I'm gonna summer uh, veil of summer and fizzle your counter spell. It's essentially a green counter spell. Is what it is. It's and I get it. It is interaction and interaction is good and it's different and it's in its own way. But it just still feels very blue. They definitely took green and made it extra, kind of in every way. We see cards in the past that will give some kind of ability, like trample, stuff like that, but that's all they do. And they're like four mana enchantments to sit on the board and just eat removal. But now we have something like Grook's Uprising that enters the battlefield. If you have a creature with power four or more, draws you a card. Whenever you play a creature with power four or more, draws you a card. And it gives all your creatures trample. There's no reason to play any other enchantment to give yourself trample over Garrick's Uprising anymore. It's just flat out better, and it's an uncommon. You know, not to mention, you know, Green getting probably one of the better of the Praetor reprints in Vorclex Monstrous Raider, doubling your counters and having your opponents, which causes a lot of feel, feels bad. A lot of cool kind of unique interactions too with that, but that's a whole other story. It's just, I think the design space in Green has been kind of opened up to incorporate everything and we're, we're seeing it get pushed to push more where I think it's definitely going to be the best color here quickly. See, and I think it's strange because I think, I think green is the third best color right now behind white and black. Yeah. And I think blue is the fourth and red is the fifth for sure. And it's such a weird concept to think that blue is so far down that list, but even green it's, it just goes to show you the amount of, love that's been put into white and the amount of just everything that black has always done. Yeah. Black is people argue between blue and black for a long time. 
being the most powerful. I don't even think it's an argue anymore. It's clearly not anymore. Black just kept getting support, and I guess this is a perfect transition to start talking about Blue. It has been the redheaded stepchild of this entire glow-up for colors. People don't like interaction, right? People don't like it when they play a spell and you say they can't play a spell. So because of that, I don't think anyone's out here calling for support for Blue, and I think that's why Blue has kind of been like set off to the wayside. Everyone knows that player that walks in with the blue mana symbol on their shirt and just the word nope written across the bottom of it. We all know who those players, we've all had bad interactions with them at some personal level. Even if you are that player, you have been shut down by another player doing the same thing. And it doesn't ever really feel good. It is part of the game. It is something that, you know, mature players accept and move on from and just keep playing. But it's definitely a frustrating feeling. And I can't, you know, I'm trying to think of it I don't think there's really any good, you know, kind of blurring of the color pie when it's regarding blue getting the benefit. Blue might actually be better than red in that instance. Red and blue are definitely the best out of not blurring the color pie. I, I think I think blue just do what blue do. And I think that it, it's it hasn't changed. I mean, you know, when you have you have card draw and you have uh, counter spells or interaction of some sort, I mean, you don't really have removal but you also i mean if you're playing in limited at least we've discussed you have like some brain free style effects and stuff like that blue has some milling effects i'm trying to think i really don't think blue has changed a whole lot yeah looking at the latest sets we see proliferate come back we see counter spells like always card draw nothing groundbreaking when it comes to blue doing different things yeah. And almost more so than saying, you know, blue hasn't gotten anything. This is kind of like a testament to how bad red is. Because red has gotten stuff. It's gotten Dockside. It's gotten Jessica's Will. It's got some sweet cards that are staples in any deck that plays red. But I'm just trying to think in my red decks, I probably play like less than 10 red cards. Well, n- not mono red, obviously, but my red X decks probably less than 10 red cards you i mean actual card draw is always going to be better than whatever else you staple to a card you know it's whatever you're going to get whatever effect you're going to get card draw and stopping your opponents from playing their cards is always going to be it doesn't matter what your red card says if i counter it right right it's just another card in the graveyard and I, i guess you know there has been some support for different strategies that incorporate red. I'm definitely guilty of this where I'm building a modern breach deck and underworld breach is one of those most powerful cards that they've printed into red in the recent history. That's, that's one, that's one I didn't think about that kind of breaks or blurs a little bit, caring a lot about the graveyard, Yeah, but steals it, from black. It, it does steal from black, but it's also, you have to sacrifice the enchantment at the end of turn, which is very red. I don't know. It feels kind of like sneak attackish to me. Enchantment. An enchantment that says I, that's that's another weird thing. Why did they make it an enchantment? I guess so you could break it, but it's an enchantment that says you must sacrifice this enchantment at the end of turn. Yeah, and it, I mean it, it offers your opponent's opportunity for removal versus a sorcery where you get that one chance to counter it. Sure, like Dogmoth's will. That makes sense. Which, but can't you just do the effects in response to them trying to remove it? 
It, it depends on what you're trying to cast. Oh, I guess because you would still have to cast at the normal speed of the car. You still have to obey timing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So th- there is that window. I guess that is a very red thing to be vulnerable to removal. <laughs> yeah, I will say that. Yeah, I think I think blue and red work better as support colors. I think playing the you know black blue deck, green blue deck, uh, Rakdos deck. I think these. They work really well as adding their touch of what they do, right? But I also think the cool thing about that is I think you put blue-red together and you get really one of the strongest dual-color combinations. I would say probably one of the most versatile dual-color combinations. But I think a lot of that is blue's influence on is it? Sure, sure. Blue's card draw, but with... Red's burn to the face. It's beautiful. Definitely. And obviously there's exceptions to that where, you know, depending on what your deck strategy is, blue can be the most powerful color and dominantly the most dominant color in your deck. You know, it's um, a cool thing that red does that is like specific to red and no other really do it. I don't think coin flipping. Yeah. What was that? The coin deck, the coin flipping deck is, is it? Yeah. So, and, and I mean, yeah, to think. the blue definitely helps the deck work, but other than artifacts, I guess, and red, which I do want to talk about artifacts at the end of this too, artifacts and red, those are all the coin flipping cards. Yeah. Except for the, the blue commander part of that. Yeah. Yep. I, everything else is interaction or card draw or something along those lines that will benefit from some kind of coin flip that red is doing. Sure. Uh, so artifacts. This, that's a tough one. I, artifacts have always fit in everything and done everything. Which is why artifacts are the way you fix the color pie. Stop blurring the color pie. Stop putting things. Make better artifacts. If it's really that big of an issue, make better artifacts. Because artifacts can go into any deck. That's the whole point of an artifact. But Kyle, artifacts die to artifact removal. Oh my, everything dies to removal. Weird. Don't sue us, professor. <laughs> For real. Yeah, or do. That'd be kind of cool. Go to court. I'll fight this and lose. What are you going to get from me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we get to meet you again. <laughs> yeah. You could sign Kyle's mat this time. But artifacts are definitely, I mean, that is a good point. The way that colors have traditionally done things other colors do without playing that color. Yeah. It's the easiest. White has a problem with ramping. Sort of the animist exists. Wants card draw? Play Howling Mind. Not the best answer. No. but, but And you also have, you have Howling Mine. You have Giripa Ori that gives you land and card draw. You have, there's so many options. Artifacts are so good. They're, they're freaking incredible. That's why a lot of artifacts are expensive. And maybe instead of focusing on fixing colors, maybe reprint expensive artifacts or print other good artifacts to bring prices down and then go that route. It just, it, it seems to make logically the most sense to me. Give us artifact masters. Give us artifact masters. Only artifacts, a whole colorless set, and no Eldrazi's, I swear to God. If we hadn't already had a couple of spoilers for March of the Machines Aftermath, I would say that's the set. But we all know that's a lie. So, so there's also been this discussion kind of around how Wizards is tuning the color pie, making colors do other things they don't traditionally do, and its effect on non-commander constructed formats. And I guess even to some extent limited formats, which 
limited is always kind of a wild card because it obviously plays a lot of chaff, stuff like that. That chaff always does kind of weird things in different ways. Limited is the best format. Limited is the best format. Whether you're new, whether you're Kyle and, you know, you only show up once every quarter. To win store championship. For a card he's never going to play. In my commander deck, I'm never going to play. Exactly. But, you know, I, I definitely think it's a valid concern. I don't think at this point it's really an issue. I, I still think generally, like, specifically thinking of modern, we aren't seeing a large divergence or focusing on a particular strategy or you know a particular combo driven by a card doing something weird that it wouldn't normally do. The closest thing that comes to mind, which absolutely is not a color problem, are the incarnation cycles from Modern Horizons 2. Seeing cards being evoked is kind of unique, but I think that's just because we haven't had really any series of evoked cards in a while. It's kind of obtuse in my mind. So in my opinion, I think cycles are the only exception to the color pie. I, I, cycles are typically going to try and do something similar and you can still make that feel color pie esque and you stood and they should still try and make it feel color pie esque, but I can see where to make the cycle make sense. They break that or blur that a little bit and that would be, but it, if that was the extent we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. And, Incarnations are not an example of that. Each one does something that is unique to its color, whether it be, you know, thought seizing your opponent, whether it be shooting for damage, destroying an artifact or enchantment, stuff like that. And I don't know what would be an example, because even the the free ones from uh, Ikoria, they all do something that matches theirs. The ones that Jessica's will came in, the other wills all do something that matches theirs. They do a pretty good job at it. If you look back a little bit farther when they were doing cycles, I don't know, seven to 10 years ago, that's where you start to see it blur a little bit because the cycles all seem very, very similar to each other rather than having a theme but doing their own thing. Yeah, another good cycle will be the Pact cycle, you know, Summoner's Pact, Pact of Negation. Those things are doing very color-specific things, whether it's getting a creature into your hand, whether it's countering a spell. And whether it's making Kyle lose on his upkeep because yeah. he forgets to pay it. Fuck the packs. Packs are terrible. Never play the packs in any decks. <laughs> I'm playing four in my breach deck. Don't play any packs. They're terrible. But, you know, I think I'm just particularly scarred by the incarnation cycle because Chris abuses me on a regular basis with fury and grief, casting them for their evoke cost turn one and then immediately resurrecting them in pounding face. Because that, that's one of those feel bads in modern that I was mentioning where... You know, it, it's not a great experience to have that happen to you because it's kind of a broken thing that's happening. You know, to stay on track, I don't think that's related. to the, like, I, like I said, those incarnations are inherently doing what they do for their color, and it's the addition of a second color that's allowing them to come back. So all, all is fair. This just points to the real problem and the immediate problem for these constructed formats, and that's Modern Horizons and Modern Horizons 2, where these sets are literally pushing specific cards and they're becoming ubiquitous across every single type of deck. Well, and it's, it's power creep too, you know? And the thing is, is there's been a bunch of stuff banned out of those sets, which helps. It does. I mean, I don't think modern's doing too poorly right now, at least for diversity. 
it, it, it does seem like it's diverse, at least in our meta. I don't think... I did some research on Modern earlier, and it, it looks like it's pretty diverse just across the board, which is nice. It, it definitely feels like that when you look at statistics, like on MTG Goldfish, and you're looking at debt stacks where people are playing, you know, 12% of this deck and 11% of that deck and stuff like that. I think where you really see the impact is when you go and look at GPs and big tournaments sure. where, you know, heaven forbid you look at all like 300 whatever participants in it. But if you cut it to like the top 32, you see a fairly consistent trend of what those decks are. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's there's better decks than other decks. But it, it is nice right now to see that the statistics online are like 10% and then 14 decks that are like 7%. Yeah. And, you know, Modern has always been that way where it's a select number of decks that see the most play in events. Except for after Modern Horizons and Modern Horizons 2 where there were like four decks taking up the entire percentage of Modern meta. Well, that's what I'm talking about where like, I guess overall meta you're right. But I mean like at events when you're seeing Modern has always been dominated by a handful of decks in those larger competitive events. Right. But, and what I'm saying is, is when you start to see the online statistics look like the top 32 at a GP, that's when you know that there's a problem. Definitely, yeah. Hogak was a problem right out the gate. But, you know, I don't think necessarily that, that that's what's wrong with Modern. Because like I said, it, it's something that's inherent. It's been that way since Modern's inception. The issue is when four out of those five top decks are playing play sets of Ragavan, are playing three Merktides, are playing you know, the same theories when, you know, 50% of those decks are from the same set. Like, that's not exactly speaking to a format that goes back 20 years. No, and it is really hard because it's modern horizons, right? They made this set to push it into modern. It's hard because you kind of expect that, but at the same time, it doesn't feel good. it's really difficult. And I mean, I think that you're also by pushing these cards and by creating more power creep and doing all this, you're just asking for more bands and then that's not healthy for a format. And you know, it's, it's, I, I don't know what the right answer is to that. I, I I mean, I think the right answer is stop shoving so many master sets down our throat, but it's almost like there was no, balance sweep through modern horizons one or two and you know that's probably pretty close to being accurate you know they they talk about they hire ex pros to come out and play test stuff like that but you know that's a limited few they can only do so many interactions stuff like that without like a thorough play test we get stuff like we have now another way of looking at it though and you know this i guess is a little on the dark side of looking at it is maybe watsy just felt modern needed a reset and their solution was Let's just print such busted cards that they're not going to worry about anything else and they're going to sh- spend a shit ton of money on these two products. You're not wrong. And the jokes aside, right, every master set is commander's master. So not only do you have these modern players buying into these sets, but you have a lot of commander's players buying into these sets because there's also cards that aren't busted necessarily, but things like Chatterfang that were printed in Modern Horizons 2 that commander players are like, they love them a squirrel commander, you know? So there's... Yeah, Morphon the Boundless. Morphon like, the Boundless. Literally the best tribal commander ever printed. Is he, is he banned? No, not in commander. Oh, it's... uh, Who's the other colorless five color? Golos. Golos, Golos is, banned. is banned. Yeah, but Golos was Eldraine? 
Uh, what was Golas no, printed M20 in? M twenty or M twenty one? Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I think I think that a lot of it is money. That's a good point. A lot of it is money. A lot of it is we know that these modern players are going to flock, but we also know if we print high powered cards, our most popular format out there with we'll the most number suck of it up. yeah. And I guess it is an effective way for Wizards to monetize a format, like I said, that's 20 years old and is almost exclusively on the secondary market. So, you know, they got their chip in that way, which is kind of, you know, a hurtful thing to say, in my opinion, kind of hurts the health of the game. But, you know, we've definitely discussed that. Every format does not need a master set. No. And it's like you said, Commander Masters, does that mean it's not going to be legal in Modern? No, No. Because it's all reprints. But... You know, we, we see it, and I guess this might be kind of a hot take because I have the exact opposite view on banning and commander because rules committee should just be a thing in the back of my mind that I think about once a year. But banning in constructed formats like modern, I don't think it's done enough. They do do, I think, quarterly or as needed, quarterly slash as needed, uh, ban review, stuff like that. But I think if they aggressively banned and more importantly, unbanned cards to change the format rather than just printing super powerful cards into the format would make for a lot more diversity, make for a lot more tuning, stuff like that. Well, you got to realize too, the difference between caring what the RC says and caring what the bans and restricted in modern are is modern's a competitive format. Modern is a format that's played at tournaments that should have a healthy banned and restricted that's looked at frequently Whereas Commander's a casual game. Yeah, you could ignore Commander, Banner, Restrict. And I was just using that as an example because literally these two points of view of mine are opposing, and they should be. Because like you said, Modern is competitive. It should have an active ban list and restricted list, which I think they should use restricted a lot more too. But I guess that's more of a legacy and old school thing. But not just banning, unbanning, you know. XYZ is dominating the format this month or whatever. We saw X number of... Uh, GTs or whatever, and you know, too heavily represented it. So we're gonna ban that card. We'll unban X, Y, and Z over here. We'll see what the meta does. Oh, now this is dominating the next, you know, GT cycle or whatever. Oh, okay. Well, let's try banning that, unbanning this, unbanning that, ban that. Just tune the meta that way. It, I mean, it, it'll be super annoying because people will be forced to constantly rework their deck. But then, why are they playing Magic if they don't want to rework their decks? Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is right is we want to. We want to promote uh, change and creativity. We want to promote trying new things. And it's just, if you sit down and you have uh, two modern tournaments a month at your local LGS, and everyone at each modern tournament plays the exact same deck until freaking something else comes out that changes, and then everyone's playing that exact same deck, it's not fun. But if you're looking at, you know, oh, this changed, this changed every once a month, you know, that's going to, that's going to push creativity. It's going to be more interesting for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, as important as the competitive aspect of these formats are, Magic is still a deck building game. So like just promoting stagnation in that one part of it by trying to promote competitiveness in the other is kind of backwards. I also think it'll make it less difficult to change up your decks and create new decks because with the constant uh, banning and unbanning, I actually think it'll affect card prices in a positive way. Yeah, you're not rushing out to buy those $75 Ragnarok. You, you know, have time. Prices will settle. Prices will spike. It'd be a constant back and forth. 
And again, we have this stance in previous episodes. Magic is not an investment. That is not the primary purpose of this game. If you can do that, if you can make money on it, good for you. If they are catering to you, we have a serious problem in the game. But, you know, obviously Wizards is not afraid of making mistakes. So they should not be afraid of banning the wrong card or unbanning the wrong card as long as they're willing to change it on a regular basis. So just wanted to finish out kind of looking into the future where we're getting a further blending of this color pie. And that's with March of the Machine. We've only had, you know, a couple dozen, maybe a dozen cards spoiled for this set. But immediately jumping out, we see team-up cards where, I mean, the cards are multicolored. So... There is the argument to say that, oh, it's just doing what white does, it's just doing what green does, but it's a green-white card, so that's fine. But usually when you blend those cards, you get the best and worst of those, whereas these team-up cards, we're literally just seeing the best of the best cards from the history of these planes. So it, it's definitely unique. I have no doubt in my mind they're going to be format warping and extremely popular. I'm very excited for them, especially just for Commander, but I have no doubt we're going to see them in everything. Thalia has played Everywhere, Gitrog is extremely popular. Putting them two together seems like a win, easy. And that's just one example. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show you the the flood of multicolored cars because of the popularity of Commander has a big effect, I believe, on the changing of the color pie as well. And this is just this is just the prime example because, like you said, we're seeing the best effects from both rather than any negative. Well, well. We'll kind of have to see where this goes and where this takes us, but I I think Watsi's hand in Commander kind of negatively affects the game as a whole. I think we're we're on the precipice of seeing those impacts. Where it's definitely clear that colors are doing more things other colors do. That's undeniable. I don't know, I didn't think I'd ever say this, but I think we were actually at a better point when we had Commander Christmas, when we had once a year that they released four decks or whatever, and they were awesome, and they were fun, and we got new things, and everyone was excited. I just think the fact of the matter is is that we get Commander products with every set, we get Commander-exclusive cards that are printed in set boosters that aren't in the decks but are only in set boosters. Commander Master sets. Commander Master sets. We get... We get Master sets and Horizon sets and Battle Bond sets and these sets that are not for Commander but are very clearly printing cards that are going to be played in Commander that Commander players want. We have, you know, an increase of uh, 150 freaking legendaries in every set and uh, multicolored cards galore. It just, it seems that there is this underlying commander presence in every single thing that Watsi does. And it's, if it hasn't caused a problem already, like Matt said, it's going to. It's cool and scary at the same time. It's cool because I want to see these cool products, these cool cards as a commander player. I want to get them. I want to play with them. It's scary for the health of the game. I, I think we're at that precipice where, undeniably we're getting the blending of the colors. We're getting colors doing stuff that other colors traditionally do. I don't think that's really had an impact yet on constructed competitive format. Where that goes, I don't really know. If it continues the way it's going, I can only foresee more and more powerful cards breaking the pie and their incorporation into eternal formats. We see it with initiative, stuff like that. And that's not, that's a very minor 
part of it. There's a couple cards. Like, heaven forbid they do an entire set. Anyways, we're not there yet. I think the potential is very real and very close, and it's something that, you know, hopefully us as a player base will stop crying out for the pushing of colors doing more and being more powerful and just accept a fairly tuned color that requires assistance from another color. I said I was going to put out a call to action kind of in the middle of the episode, and that that's this point right now. So jump in our social medias. Let us know any other examples you could think of, cards breaking the color pie, what you think you know they're going to do to you know commander or other competitive formats, and whether you where you see the future of the color pie and cards abilities going down the road. You know we're available everywhere: social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Casual Tutors. Our YouTube is picking up. Our Discord is you know a great community that I believe everyone should join, so we have a chance to connect and talk with everyone. And all those links are down in our description. So don't be afraid. We we don't bite hard, and we love interacting with you all, and we look forward to seeing what you think about the color pie. Anyways, I'm Matt. And I'm Kyle. And we're the Casual Tutors. Thanks for listening.